0: Hello there, you're listening to the Not The Top 20 podcast. We talk about EFL football and we are Ali Maxwell and George Ellick. We've had three rounds of fixtures and we're going to talk about the main topics from the weekend, some teams that we haven't discussed so far this season uh, and really take the temperature of a few teams at this stage. Uh, We're starting with the championship, George been quite an interesting start to the season looking at the table after three games there's no team with nine points and there's no team with zero points so plenty still up in the air a lot of games that have been relatively even but also teams already showing some inconsistency in their performances which no doubt will improve as time goes I think we both agree the table will look very different after 10 games shall we
1: say to, to how it does now um, or maybe not that different Because I think the top team might stay pretty similar for the whole thing. Okay, that's (laughs) one out of 24
0: teams. Um, Let's get cracking with some weekend news. Starting with the first managerial departure in the Championship. Actually, Sol Campbell leaving Macclesfield was the first in the whole EFL. uh, But he was followed pretty closely by Jan Siwert at Huddersfield. They played on Friday night, uh, home to Fulham. They lost 2-1. And before the clock struck midnight, he was sacked it seemed like in midweek when they lost to Lincoln in the Carabao Cup, despite a lot of changes in that game, there was a real sea change in terms of how the fans were feeling about Jan seward taking the club forward. And in that sense, it wasn't a massive surprise when it when it happened on Friday, seward leaving the club after a, a pretty
1: torrid, what, eight months in charge? The interesting thing here is that we've, we've spoken about the uh, the Stuart Weber's Leaving the club coinciding with, I guess, a turnaround in fortunes at Huddersfield, and in the summer they appointed a new technical director. And I think that, in a sense, that that change of focus and that shift, then you know, this day was probably going to be inevitable unless either had a very good start, because you've got someone else overseeing the fortunes of the club. You've got someone making these decisions who wasn't necessarily there before. Um, the uh, performances earlier this season have been pretty poor. Uh, it did take a, a late, very good strike from, from Ivan Cavaliero to, to get Fulham the win, but they were good value for that win beforehand. Mm. Um, Carlin Grant's goal came came completely against the run of play, the equaliser, and generally Fulham were just dominant and the better team throughout, and that was away from home as well. Uh, so for Huddersfield fans now, it, it's difficult, and they're kind of a special case, I guess, in a way. Because their promotion to the Premier League was so unexpected, because their season of survival was also so unexpected as well, it means that there seems to be this this idea that they should be challenging at the top end of, of the of the Premier League. But I saw a, a ridiculous stat saying that they haven't finished a season with a positive goal difference, I think, since 2012 in League mm. One. And that kind of just shows you how absurd it was that they got to where they got to, how big an achievement it was for David Wagner and Stuart Webber to get them there. So tell me this then, George, if, if
0: they weren't expected to be challenging at the top of of the table, which certainly was the case when we spoke about Huddersfield Huddersfield pre-season and what their fans thought pre-season, what they were after, then is it not quite early to sack a manager after only three games if you're looking for a season of consolidation? You know, three bad performances, but you know, by
1: no means absolutely horrendous. I think the key with that is, is that the decision here will be based on more than just one point in three games. It'll be Decided on the manner of football they're playing, how the fans are accepting or enjoying that football, what the players are feeling about training. So whilst a lot of people have said that, that Jan Siva was lucky to even get a crack this season, I think that's probably unfair. Um, but if after a summer of, of recruitment and a summer where they really tried to build a squad... They could bounce back from relegation if, if the high club hierarchy think that he isn't the man to lead them forward, irrespective of, of the points tally, then, then that's the right decision to make. And as I say, because there's someone else now, a new body in the building who is making these decisions, uh, it's important that the right man comes in who who is, is aligned to that bigger um, that bigger vision, I guess. And, and with Sievert, there was very little evidence if any at mm. all to suggest that he would have done better than, than Martin from Wakefield I don't think so. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting that you mentioned that the new
0: technical director that came in over the summer because of course when Stuart Webber joined Huddersfield, Chris Powell was the manager, already incumbent, uh, and it didn't take too long uh, for Webber to to move him on once uh, one of the seasons, I can't remember the exact season it was, but once that season started poorly, he was moved on and of course in came David Wagner. So it'd be interesting to see who they make as their next appointment. I agree that they they were poor on Friday night, They they were just very frantic, there was very little composure in the team, uh, notably in central midfield. Janino Bakuna had one of the worst games I think I've ever seen at this level, including setting up Mitrovic with a a sliced clearance that ended up as the perfect cross. Uh, But they were just uh, all all around the team. There are sort of, you know, there are players who you expect a bit more from, I suppose, at this stage. But I, I was looking not to single anyone out, but, you know, Alex Pritchard, we were told, Uh, pre-season he's been playing off the left playing out wide rather than in a a number 10 role and that's fine you can sort of see maybe he can drift inside and create coming inside with it with a left back who can overlap but Congolo, as much as he's a fantastic one-on-one defender looks very uncomfortable getting forward in any way and unlikely to create anything and Pritchard really didn't get on the ball in the half spaces at all so just a a fairly blunt display from Huddersfield and with all that you've still got Carlin Grant with three goals from three games albeit with two penalties so we will be commenting on on Huddersfield's manager search when
1: we see who they're going for. It's it's, it's going to be interesting to see who they do go for because I think that the I mean, Houghton seems to be the, the choice of a lot of fans, and I would question whether he would be a particularly good fit with this uh, with the players that, that you've spoken about there. Where you've got Pritchard and Grant, who are both very technically gifted players, who I think would thrive under a manager who would enable them to play with some freedom, I guess. And that's almost the way that we saw Huddersfield play. when they, When they went up, it was... Uh, a, a swashbuckling style where, where Wagner did enable the, the flair players to kind of let loose a bit and I think going for a safe option here could um, well it, it could make it difficult for those players to really implement what, what they've been brought in to do so I have a feeling it'll be someone left field again um, and we'll be asking questions of, of those people who know who know about him when it comes around to it but, Yeah uh, I
0: think Mark Hudson is one of the favourites he's yeah. obviously already within the club he ended his career there as a player involved in that promotion As a senior player and and clearly, you know, that would be the sort of Woodgate approach, right? Someone within the club, young, untested manager, but someone who can sort of do the bidding, I suppose, of of those above him, the technical director, the new board. Um, In terms of Fulham, it's a good away win for them and and a a good way to react to that opening day defeat against Barnsley with two fairly straightforward wins. At the same time, they didn't look... Well, they certainly didn't start very well, Fulham. First half an hour, they were pretty sloppy as well. It was a pretty ugly game at that point. Um, the midfield addition of Harry Arter has certainly made uh, improvements to how, uh, how easily teams can play through them or otherwise. Arter was, was a good screener in front of the defence, uh, still not necessarily on the same wavelength uh, of with Kearney and Johansson in terms of finding each other in midfield but and even that front three of Mitrovic, Nockhart and Cavalero they don't look completely in tune with each other just yet which you would hope and expect will improve but they are, in, in their own way, three quite individual players. So there might be games where they don't look particularly on the same wavelength, but still come up with a, a goal from Mitrovic and a, a fantastic goal from Cavallero. So the other big sort of positive from Fulham's point of view was the debut of Steven Cessnion, twin brother of Ryan. Uh, not particularly similar players, I wouldn't say. Stephen Cessnion played right back. Uh, he looked comfortable on the ball, and although he, he was booked very early on, I would say he reacted to that very well. He he, he wasn't really troubled by Pritchard uh, in, the, in the following hour or so. So uh, a really impressive debut and someone we look forward to seeing a lot more of. He was coming very central in possession, sort of inverted fullbacks like we've seen from Pep Guardiola, which... Uh, I'm not entirely sure what Parker's plan there, but hopefully we'll see a bit more of it. And that can be one of the tactical twerks that we're... Twerks? Tactical... Twerks? That's t- something very different. Tactical <laughs> quirks that we're talking about throughout the season. Uh, Fulham's fullbacks inverting. Keep an eye on that. Let's talk about an, a, another impressive win, George. My question to you is very simple. Was Reading's 3-0 win against Cardiff, the performance and or the result of the weekend in the Championship...
1: Yeah, absolutely. It was an unbelievably good performance. Um, Reading on the back of two disappointing performances and two disappointing results came into this one with a bit of pressure, I would say, um, because a lot of a lot of money spent, a lot of fan optimism um, and nothing to show from it as yet. And They come up against a team that I think um, or I thought would be one of the likely promotion contenders and it absolutely wiped the floor with them, uh, completely dominated from start to finish. Uh, Cardiff, I think, we're, were fairly lucky that the, the score was kept at three 0 by the end of it, given the, the chances that were missed. When you know they were sending about f- nine men forward and left one at the back, and you know Puskas missed a very good chance for the for his hat trick. Uh, Mater missed a penalty as well, but were very well saved. So, I mean, Puskas. I think people the excitement from Puskas comes alongside what we saw in the under 21 European Championships in the summer where he was very very dominant for Romania it comes from the fact that there was a big transfer fee from Inter Milan but with all of these things we see I'd say we see so many of these signings every year and they turn out to not to be quite as as good as you hope but from early signs from what we saw um, when when push comes to shove he's absolutely superb <laughs> I mean the, the first I, I,
0: I tweeted when he signed saying really excited about this one having seen him live at the Unders Euros I said he's he, he was like a one-man wrecking ball up against you know the likes of Tomori and Clark Salter out uh, out in Italy and I was I was feeling I mean it's pure luck but I was feeling quite smug because his first goal was like one man wrecking yeah, ball yeah. just picking it up in his own and, half.
1: and the quality to finish, finish it off as well yeah um, they, they look like uh they're going
0: to have a lot more threat through the middle. He's obviously switched Jose Gomsch to a uh sort of 3-4 3-5-2 uh, th- I suppose. Um Yedom and Richards look pretty comfortable in wing-back roles compared to in in back four fullback roles. Yeddom's a good player either way, but Richards specifically looked a, lo- a lot more comfortable. Uh, gives them that that extra body at the back. Uh, so Morrison who's obviously experienced, a bit more of a leader, can sit in the middle with Moore and Miazga outside him. And then because they have Pele in there as well, who's a very defensive-minded midfield player, Ajaria and Swift were able were really sort of unshackled, I think. And that was very clear. Swift was popping up all over the park and able to, to really pull strings in the way that we know he can, but in a way that he hasn't always done consistently. So lots and lots of positives for, for Reading. On the flip side, they came up against a Cardiff side who Completely stunk the place out uh, in a way that was quite surprising.
1: Yeah, I'd say that's an important thing to note here um, for Reading fans. Is I mean, it was the first before this game. Reading won two of the last twelve under under Gomez, so it'd been a tough run. And, and on paper, this looked difficult. But Cardiff were like, abysmal. I mean, unbelievably bad. Really disorganised at the back, um, and just very very poor. That's the second game away game this season. In both of them, they've conceded three goals, uh, In both of them they've been they've been defeated. So. It's something I didn't expect to see. Uh, I thought that as long as Neil Warnock's at the club, they were always going to be um, functional at worst. and uh, But this was anything but. They were just all over the shop with, with no real organisation at all. So tricky, tricky time straight away. And you've got to wonder for Neil Warnock, can he really be bothered to go into this season of if it's not going to be one that, that could end in glory? Um, is he going to want to be at the helm of a club who are going to be finishing mid-table or not. I mean, let's, let's see
0: if that was just a one-off. I mean, yeah. look, all the Cardiff fans saying genuinely, like, we've never seen this before from this Cardiff team. In yeah, exactly. the first two games of the season, they were much more competitive. I guess we've seen from all three relegated teams in the Premier League, they've all chucked in at least one stinker already.
1: But I'd say whilst they're more competitive, that's still, I mean, porous poorest at the back, all three games, basically, a have looked poor defensively. So yeah. there are concerns. And, that, and, you know, not to take anything away from Reading because they... Um, as I say, they were they were good value for their 3-0 win, if not better. Um, but I would say that maybe that this beating Cardiff won't look quite as impressive in a, in a few weeks' time if, if Cardiff's performance levels don't improve.
0: Yeah, as I say, plenty more for the league table to do to sort of shake itself out a bit into a, a more natural shape, probably. Reading have got West Brom away on Wednesday night, which will be a, a, a much more different test Uh, West Brom, one of the teams, showing themselves to be pure possession-based so far. So Reading will have a different test there, and then Huddersfield away on the weekend. So two away games coming up this week for them. Swansea beat Preston 3-2. I think this was, from what I could see, two teams who both played pretty well. Preston certainly in the first half, and Swansea definitely in the second half. And two teams who are looking fairly good. I don't necessarily mean title challenges at this stage, but at the point we're at where it's really only Leeds who look obviously uh, or, or definitively going to be right up there, and these are two teams I'm keeping an eye on. And in Borja Baston, we have maybe one of the stories of the championship season so far. And We, we can't go too far on it because there's still rumours that he might head back to Spain in the next few weeks with that transfer window still open and with teams interested in him. But for a player that was signed three years ago for Swansea for a then record transfer fee and essentially exiled from the January following uh, until this summer Uh, and, and as far as I could tell sort of begrudgingly put into the side after McBurney left and a few other players left for him to now have scored the goals that he scored early this season to get two on the weekend and to genuinely look like like the number 9 I think they were si- I think they thought they were signing quite sharp good use of space good use of movement and uh, and and a, a solid finisher so that's been a fantastic story but uh, for Steve Cooper it's been a positive start as well he seemed very reluctant to get ahead of himself on uh, on his interview that we saw on Quest but two wins and a draw for for Swansea so far a very very tidy start for
1: Cooper and and the good home form continues which is really important because that was such a, a crucial um... You know, feather in the bow of, of Graham Potter's Swansea towards the back end of last season was how good they were at home and, and, and he's continued that. Uh, this was maybe a game that I have flagged up as being one to look a bit deeper than the score into. You're um, Looking at the XG stats, I think Preston won it by two point two one point one. 2.2, 1.1. Um, Swansea didn't register a shot until the 40th minute when they scored. So All their fans saying we were lucky not to be 3-0 down. Yeah, exactly. And um, So maybe not as a negative on Swansea necessarily but but maybe more just Preston still a team who are bubbling along nicely and, and despite the loss put another good performance who we can expect to continue going from, from strength to strength as, as they seem to do under Alex Neil consistently and given the quality and the talent in their squad it should kind of come as no surprise I guess.
0: Yeah I'm looking forward to seeing them live on Wednesday night at home to Stoke that's already a really intriguing game uh, two teams who performances wise have started the season pretty well points wise uh, not necessarily as high as you might expect, and, and we're not going to talk in depth about Stoke and Derby and their draw this weekend because we got uh, other games to get through, uh, and we have spoken about both of those teams, not least on on Sky Sports on Friday night. So, uh, with apologies to those fans, and and, and surely after uh, next weekend, we we will have plenty to
1: say. But yeah, just as I mean, obviously, I agree with you, but again restricted Derby's chances massively and except for the penalty again with sound defensively and just managed to concede two goals so
0: you're very much on the uh, Nathan Jones and Stoke bandwagon which Indeed. is good I'm looking forward to providing plenty of insight having seen them live uh, later on this week uh, what about Luton and West Brom uh, Luton went ahead here uh, it was a bizarre goal really because it was out wide with Craney not known for swinging in Beckham-esque crosses uh, and Semi Ajay just in in sort of turning to run backwards. He just tripped on his own ankles, uh, which let Cornick free in the middle. But it was still a sensational ball in from Craney uh, and a very good header from Cornick. So uh, that was a great start for Luton. And and by all accounts, they started the game brightly. But again, we're seeing that they're struggling a little bit to continue with, with high performance levels throughout the games. And, you know, that's not a massive knock and it's not a massive surprise. But the difficulty is... When you're playing against West Brom, who have so many threats now uh, and, and different kinds of threats than they had last year, uh, it's going to be difficult. And in the end, Grady Diangana came off the bench on loan from West Ham. When he signed the other week, there were a few murmurings about whether they really needed him with a lot of other young, wide talent that, that sort of owned by the club that they could develop themselves. Um, but at the double, uh, a very, very strong debut from him. <laughs> yeah. what, what did you make of that game?
1: We said when we were asked on on, uh, on our work with Sky kind of to flag up a few players who to keep an eye on. We said at the time, you know, it's very hard to do it now because you don't know which loan deals are going to go through late and you don't know some of these loan deals will fizzle out and, and they'll be recalled very quickly. And I think Diangana Garner is one of those where, you know, if you're asked at the deadline, he's someone that you would flag up as being a possible exciting one. And to score two goals within six minutes of his debut, having come off the bench... Um the first of which was basically just a, a, a pot shot and the second of which was a really, really good header. Mm. Um, you know, he was halfway he was two thirds of the way to a perfect hat trick after six minutes on his debut. I, I so. don't
0: think we're gonna see many more headed no, goals
1: from TNK. But, but we also saw him in the second half after they went ahead, being really lively down the wing, um, very confident to carry the ball forward. And as, you know, as Slavon Bilic said at the time, he's played seventeen Premier League games before, so this isn't a guy whose talent hasn't got him somewhere already. He's not someone who's been found out on loan a lot. He's someone who's been involved in, in Premier League match day squads in what is a, a, you know, a squad full of quality. So you'd expect him to be someone who would do well. He's obviously someone that Slavon Bilic knows very well as well, and will be happy to to put some trust in. So for a team, we always say how weird it is to say it, given where they came last season, but West Brom often looked like a team who, who lacked attacking depth last season, who relied on one or two players to provide it. And, uh, to have a player like that able to come off the bench and have the impact that he did, I mean, he's he's repaid whatever the, the loan fee is already in that in, the, in those in those three points because they were in, in a bit of trouble before he came on.
0: Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how they go this weekend at home to Reading because so far, two 2-1 two, wins away from home at Forest and Luton. Really impressive results for Bilic's West Brom, but they struggled at home so far, drawing uh, with Millwall last weekend, struggling to break them down as they sat deep, even though they had all the ball... Uh, and then losing to them in the Carabao Cup as well, albeit with a, a very rotated side. So uh, maybe an early theme and a concern potentially uh, is going to be a, a more difficulty breaking teams down at home, um, but enjoying a little bit more space perhaps uh, away from home and, and making the most of it. So uh, with Charlie Austin having joined, he hit the post uh, after coming on on the weekend. You'd expect that he will work his way into the starting lineup fairly swiftly because uh, for all his... Potential uh, And for all his um, size and strong left foot, Kenneth Zahor so far has not been uh, impressing the locals. So a bit of work for him to do from a Luton point of view. It's a little bit concerning, isn't it, George? They're sort of huffing and puffing, but not really getting the results so far.
1: Yeah, I mean, it's a tough game. Um, if you're looking at the, the wage structure of both clubs and the squads they've got available to them being beaten at home by West Brom is, isn't is anything to be embarrassed about and being 1-0 up against them was was a decent effort um, because of the changes that have been made at the club I, I still think that the expectations of the fans has to be to, just to try and try and stay up this season and, and hope that in Graham Jones they've got a manager who can build on that um, so yeah they are finding it tricky they haven't made a great start but at the same time I don't think they've got any right for example to be mid-table or, or so because yeah. they are one of, if not the smallest club in the league um, in terms of of, of of stature, I guess. And they'll have one of the smallest budgets in the league and they've lost key players. So uh, by no means embarrassed, but, nope. but but not a great result. And
0: scoring goals in every game so far, but also a little bit leaky. So they need to get a bit better this week. They're away twice to Sheffield Wednesday and Barnsley. So it, it might get worse before it gets better for Luton, but... Uh, not too much doom and gloom coming from us. Uh, Millwall beat Sheffield Wednesday 1 0. Sheffield Wednesday at that stage were two from two, but we knew this was going to be a tough game uh, at the Den, and that's what it was. But I mean, even, probably more impressive than it looks this win because they had 10 men for more than a half of football, and with a one goal lead and with Barry Bannon pulling strings, managed to restrict maybe. Sheffield Wednesday to admittedly very few chances and that's a huge positive. The goal scored, uh, George, by your mate Matt Smith.
1: Um, but it made me laugh when um, when Neil Harris said that in the, in the post-match interview as if Barry Bannon was Pirlo. He goes, you know, when they can bring on Barry Bannon to dictate play as if it was like some unbelievable player that they've been able to call upon. And of course, Bannon is a good, you know, he's a good centre midfielder and, and as good a passer as he's probably going to get at this level. But um, yeah, I think maybe Blowing his own trumpet a little bit, a little bit there for for Neil Harris, but a good result nonetheless. And as you say, really impressive to keep um, a Sheffield Wednesday team who have been free scoring this season, who've been creating creating chances regularly, uh, to keep them at bay for for over a half with ten men. Uh, And Matt Smith immediately filling the role uh, left by Steve Morrison and being that focal point up top and
0: more than he's, he's, he's already scoring more goals yeah
1: and, and and scoring those kind of trademark stooping headers at the back post that uh, that you know that we've all seen the reason I said your mate Matt Smith
0: is obviously he's one of the few footballers with an undergraduate degree mm. uh, and, and he did so at the same university that you went to in Manchester yeah he
1: was University of Manchester captain when I was there
0: did you ever, ever meet him ever, I didn't you know,
1: sadly my you know as good as my right boot was I mean we would actually been Perfect for each other because my specialism, my specialist, my specialist uh, skill is probably corners. So, <laughs> so if, if Matt had known that, then I could have been whipping them in for him. But no, never um,
0: cross swords
1: in a nightclub or anything like that. No, no, definitely okay. not. Fair enough. Well, wow. uh, look, I mean, did you, it's, did you cross swords with many people when you are at the University of Bristol in nightclubs? Um, <laughs>
0: depended what sort of night it was. Really? Look, 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 mate. We're we're feeling very good about Millwall. They've had a great start to the season, and I think. You know, without wanting to get too carried away, one of the things that I'm going to say early on is I think this is going to be the sort of team who at nil-nil and when they go ahead are going to be a really tough prospect for opposition teams. I do worry that if Mill will go behind the games, they're going to find it harder than other teams maybe to, to get back into it, to really be proactive and play on the front foot. But generally, if they can maintain the start to their season in which they've been very, very solid, restricting the opposition in terms of chances created hugely, uh, and maintain this absurd set-piece threat, uh, and no little open play threat as well, especially from the Wings, Um, they are are already surprising people, and that's good to see. The next section is quick, uh, and it's called fairly straightforward wins against teams that played poorly. Uh, so no real need. Such a snappy title. <laughs> no, you know me, mate. Um, great copywriter, me. Uh, Blackburn beat Borough 1-0. I think all that needs to be said here is that Borough were, were poor and Blackburn were able to beat them 1-0 while being solid, but but without needing to be at their best. The goal was a fairly soft penalty, and I think that game probably finishes 0-0 on another day. So um, already some work for, for Woody Jonathan Woodgate to do. And then Bristol City beating QPR 2 0. Yeah. Again, QPR not laying much of a glove on them, disappointing performance from their point of view. But really exciting to have a, a genuine Hungarian talent in mm. the championship in Adam Nodge. Mm. And it's important to pronounce it Nodge and not Nagy. Well, I was happy
1: to see because uh, the, the, the person who led the Hungarian Revolution was called Imre Nodge, ah. who I wrote my dissertation about really university so soon so i've always known that adam Nodge. i mean because i am you know i'm of hungarian um yes, heritage you are. so i've always known that adam Nodge was called Nodge, but i've heard people calling him naggy in the past or or Nagy, and i was and happy you didn't want to nag them but about i was happy i was happy that it's, it's, it took i think it took about four days for everyone in, in the wider media to, to get hold of the fact that he's called Nodge. Yep. so which is also annoying because that was before i could first say it on the podcast
0: Well, yeah, I just wanted to bring him up. He only played 45 minutes, but he played very well and scored, of course. But, I mean, he is a very highly rated Hungarian player. I don't think the listeners probably until this point knew that you were of Hungarian descent, even though, of course, Hungary have had a player called Akos Elek, haven't they, in their
1: team for years and years. Who I backed, I think, to score first in a Euros game at 33-1 to and hit the post. (laughs) Um, Fantastic. But but I've actually, I mean, I'm not going to pretend I'm much of a... um, you know, my Hungarian heritage means that I carry... Sounds like you're pretty good on the history of I it. Carry, yeah, well, that's true. But, but the um, the uh, footballing side of things, unless they're playing in a major tournament and I want them to win a little bit more than another team, that's about it. But, I, but Thomas Mortimer, who I follow uh, on Twitter, who is also of, of Hungarian um, heritage, and he's a football, uh, football writer, freelance football writer, and he's been banging the drum about Adam Nodge for a long time. Um, saying that he's a talented player and someone who's very very crucial to the future of that Hungarian national team so I think it's from my, from what I know which is very little of him but you know someone who's, whose opinions I respect um, I think this is a signing that, that Bristol City fans can uh, can get quite excited about especially having lost Marlon Pack to, to Cardiff
0: I quite agree I'm glad that people are getting their pronunciation right my next my next sort of uh, objective is to start ramming home the fact that the new Brentford attacking player is not called Mbuemo, sadly. Um, The E comes before the U after that initial MB. So it's more like mbumo rather than Mbuemo, which is... Admittedly, quite difficult to say, especially in commentary or in the stands. So I think we'll probably stick with Embuemo, but who, just so everyone knows, that is not how you say. Who it Who do
1: you say is your favourite tricky to pronounce footballer ever?
0: Probably Javaro Nepomachino of uh, Oldham Athletic. Wow, yeah. mine's less on brand. What is it's it? Just Peter and Love. Peter and Love, yeah, very good. <laughs> uh, I, Peter and Love, I only knew from like Champ Man when I was really young, and before you know how to pronounce that, you're saying and Lovu <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyway, uh, Wigan lost to Leeds two 0 um, 10 men for the majority of this game and I don't know how Joe Williams looks so surprised to have been sent off to like
1: proper yellows. That may be, it just maybe not like him. Yeah. Watching his reaction to the second one, I was like, shut up, just get off. <laughs> like You seem like a bad person to talk to. But unlike- sorry, sorry. <laughs> That's a bit rude. I'm sure you're a lovely guy but that just annoyed me.
0: Unlike last season when they were able to beat Leeds despite a 10-man uh, disadvantage they did not beat Leeds this time it was a very straightforward win for Leeds and a great day for those who, of us who reside on Bamford Island of course uh, two goals from a combined three yards uh, and goals, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, yeah I'm just very happy to be banging that drum and we'll continue to do so uh, that one really was attack v defense so an easy win for Leeds yeah. uh, lastly in the championship George Nottingham Forest 3 Birmingham nil. this one could you know that you often hear someone say it could have been five or six nil? Could have been ten. I mean, it could have been, let's say seven. I'm going when, to cap it at seven. When
1: you have Lee Camp, who made one bad error, but when you have Lee Camp to thank for keeping the score down, really, because do you think? Well, he, well, he should have saved the first, but he made, I would say, two or three saves where you've got to mm. save fair play. That's a good save to him. Um, wasn't it more like Graben and Sal
0: missing terrible chances rather than him saving them yeah
1: a couple put wide but yeah I
0: specifically noted don't bang on about Lee Camp being bad because I just feel a bit bad about it I think this is the
1: one time ever where I think except I mean it was a really bad error for Lolly's goal where he's He's basically got like a full hand on it and it's just still hasn't pushed it wide.
0: It looks like the shot that he hasn't seen because there's a defender in the way. And then you see the reverse angle and there's really no defender in the way, basically for the, for its whole trajectory. And you just wonder, can't you move your arm a bit quicker? Anyway, I'm a terrible goalkeeper, so I really shouldn't be one to judge. <laughs>
1: so you shouldn't be talking about other terrible goalkeepers. <laughs>
0: exactly. George, um, Paul Taylor, who's the Nottingham Forest writer for The Athletic, he focused on Joe Lolly today. Um, in his piece about this game and it's an interesting piece it was the obvious person to write about lolly a massive massive aston villa fan scoring again against birmingham which he always seems to do uh, and celebrating gleefully in front of them Uh, but i I sort of hadn't quite realized that up to that point the forest fans were expecting a little bit more from what they'd seen from lolly uh, this season but in that game it it was back to the old lolly
1: yeah it's interesting in the article um by Paul he gets some quotes from from uh, from Joe Lolly and it's interesting the way that Lolly seems to approach these games where he talks about uh, the first couple of games where there were some murmurs that he wasn't really performing particularly well in, and he talks about you now this is a quote from Lolly you go to places like Leeds and you don't get many touches you're in your own half for much of the game and probably expend more 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 energy defending than attacking but that's a job you have to do in some games for the team and i guess that kind of rings true and it's easy to forget that these guys you know if you are a wide player playing against a team like Leeds you're you're just not going to have the Time, the space, or the ball to make an impact, and unless you're you're someone who has pace to burn who can go over the top, um, and then he goes on to talk about how much he's looking forward to this set of games coming up. So, I mean, it's it's good news for for Forest fans, and he's shown again that he is a player who, when you can get him on the ball in dangerous areas, he's he's a great creator. He's a very direct runner. He's a fantastic um, shooter, let's say. I mean, he he's, he certainly likes to shoot. Um, I don't know if if you know the the data analysts out there probably wouldn't be. Too keen on his shot locations i would say main in the main part but he does score goals he relishes playing against um against birmingham as we've seen it's weird because he's not a particularly unless you're a nottingham forest fan he's not a particularly um high profile player i would say in, in english football yet he seems to be the only one who is almost famous for supporting a team that he doesn't and has never played yeah. for um which is quite funny even in the in the article from paul he's he has a quote from Lewis Graben where Graben says, he's a Villa fan, he got one up on the Birmingham supporters. I mean, that never happens.
0: Uh, yeah, and Lamucci said, it's unfortunate we can't play all our games <laughs> against Birmingham or other teams who are the rivals of Villa. So it's spot on. He's definitely a, a real bucket list podcast guest for me, Lolly. Um, not only because he is, he, he seems maybe because he came up through non-league, he just seems a little bit more in touch with and clearly is such a big football fan even though he's still a player which some players struggle to 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 sort of maintain that love for another team especially a, an ostensible rival certainly last season um, he's, he's brilliant on Twitter and he just seems like a, a smashing bloke so I'm very keen to get him on the pod if you're listening Joe um, let us know Paul Taylor maybe you could forward us his number because of course we are uh, partnered and being sponsored by The Athletic this season
1: yeah I mean I've now had The Athletic for on my phone as a subscriber for about three weeks and I think one of the best things about it, I mean, it's ad-free as we all know and they've got an unbelievable um, stable of, of writers, uh, Premier League and the and EFL writers as well. But I'm always... The, the access... To players and kind of the player quotes alongside the articles has been something that's really stood out to me and something I'm really enjoying seeing because you're getting not only insight to the gamers but also just a bit of a bit more insight into the clubs themselves and the players so and that you know Paul's article on, on Joe Lolly is a perfect example of that.
0: Did you like my article last week on on Sunderland? I actually got I didn't some, read it no. I actually <laughs> sourced <laughs> some uh, sourced some anonymous quotes as well from uh, people involved in the game. You are not you impressed by that? I was impressed by it but we're not
1: talking about Sunderland but no I mean anyone who, has, who hasn't read Ali's piece on uh, on the one-all draws of Sunderland um, then I implore you to do so uh, and you can subscribe to The Athletic by going to theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20
0: yeah that'll give you a free trial so you can check out the articles that we've spoken about today and many many more not just football but across a lot of American sports they've got really all the best writers for the NBA and the NFL as well so uh, get involved with that today it'll give you a free trial and then 50% off uh, forthwith. That is theathletic.co.uk forward slash NTT20. I never know if I'm actually using that word in the in its correct manner, but it's a word that I like to use anyway. Look, you mentioned Sunderland there and we weren't talking about them before. So let's talk about them now because it was certainly the standout game ahead of the weekend in League One. And it's actually, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of good talking points for League One um, as we record today, looking back at the weekend. But we'll start with what was the biggest game. Sunderland, coming out victorious uh, 2-1 against Portsmouth if you'd said it was going to be 2-1 when Portsmouth took the lead in the first half having been uh, much more on their game than a a, a still rusty looking Sunderland then I would have been um well would I have been surprised you'd have
1: called called them a fool
0: (laughs) well they have shown themselves to be very good at coming back from 1-0 down at home in in games so maybe I wouldn't have been that surprised but at that stage of the game it seemed unlikely um but it was a, a really important win for Sunderland in a game that was fairly even. I think it's fair to say it was a 10-minute first-half spell that was enough for them. Um, Willis, especially, um, despite playing centre-back, really sort of dragged them forward. Uh, and and he'll be very pleased to have done that, having joined in the summer and having been part of what had looked like quite a ropey defence in the first two games or so uh, of this league season. But, um, uh, you know, he headed them level-level. Uh, and was a big part of keeping a a clean sheet in the second half. And the second goal as well, it started with a bit of luck, um, but then it was McGeady's brilliance that created the goal. And and that's what we've seen um, time and time again, really, over the last 12 months or so. Um, What did you think about the game? I mean, for for Pompey, it was a disappointing result. At the same time, I reckon they'd have felt a little hard done by that they didn't get something out of the game. Because, I mean, it it wasn't one-sided by any
1: means. I mean, I think it was one-sided for the first 20 minutes, but just the other way. But then, I mean, I think you look back on seasons uh, as having fairly pivotal moments. And I think that Marcus Harner scoring for Pompey could be a pivotal moment in Sunderland's season because immediately again, they're at home um, after a disappointing start to the season. They're behind, they're not playing very well. And I guess the character for the team to to come back from that and, and to get the goals and get that win could have a completely transformative effect on on the season, on, on Jack Ross's time there as well, because not only is it against a team who you formed a rivalry with last season, but it's also against a team who are going to be looking to get promoted as well. Um and yeah, I, as I say, I think they were a little bit lucky to get the corner's decision in the first place for Willis's goal. It didn't let like the ball went out. Um but they made the most of that. Uh, I thought a little bit naughty from Burgess after the goal, who seemingly decided he was going to sit on um, on Willis after he had nodded the ball in, uh, which looked quite painful, but it didn't seem to do much damage. And uh, and then at, you know Aidan McGeady doing what Aidan McGeady does and being too good for the league and putting it on a plate for Maguire to to get the to get the winner and then to keep out a, a, you know an attacking um, trio or quartet of, of some of the league's best players for for the um, half after that as well. So
0: yeah, not a great second half performance from. Portsmouth they no. did create two pretty good chances for themselves one was blocked and Evans shot and uh, and then Marquis squirted one wide in the second half when he was in a really good position and it, it was just a bizarre finish from someone who we know as a goal scorer. it looked like he'd never looked like he'd never had a shot in his life before it was a very strange He's got a slightly unusual technique, doesn't he, Marquis, when shooting? And it certainly didn't work for him that time. A a massive win for Jack Ross and Sunderland. uh, And we're looking forward to hopefully seeing that being a pivotal moment, as you said. And and they've got games against Rochdale and Wimbledon this week. How good would the fans feel and how much more would we think of this team if they could dominate those games, if they could get comfortable, dominant wins? That would make a a massive difference uh, in how we talk about them, let's say, next Monday. Away from that game, there are still... Two teams in League One who have 100% records, and we have spoken plenty about Lincoln so far. So we will just say that they thrashed South End 4 0. They haven't conceded a goal yet in their league games. They've scored eight, all from different players. It's all looking worryingly good for Lincoln. I guess the only sort of caveat you'd say at this stage is uh, they've had two fairly kind home games to start the season against Accrington and South End, and also got that real smash and grab win away to Rotherham last week. So, tougher test to come for them, George and then Blackpool also a full complement of points at this stage but as an Oxford fan you can't have had many games where you've been, where you felt more hard done by with the result than that 2-1 win for Blackpool against your yellows on the weekend
1: Yeah I sadly couldn't go um, but I've I've read a lot about it and seen the highlights and uh, I think uh, you know you played really well when you lose a game and the whole fan base is just... Pumped full of optimism afterwards. I mean, not a single person upset about dropping points. Everyone could see that, you know, everyone could see who was there. Simon Grayson said after the game that, that Blackpool was second best. Um and at this stage of the season you can afford to do that. You can afford to drop points if you are playing well because um it is early days and, and Blackpool, as you say, have, have taken maximum points so far. Um, but uh but yeah frustrating but at the same time you know a new manager you're new
0: grinning th- while you talk about wow. an oxford defeat because they've made some big signings as we've been recording the
1: pod as well yeah um you know you and i are going down to the Kassam stadium tomorrow and i think it's going to be a pretty good atmosphere because we spoke on the podcast last week about matt taylor uh, the return of the prodigal son he is back now and will be making his uh, his second debut tomorrow george Thorne signed on loan from um from derby i'm Pretty flabbergasted that he passed the med- medical, but we, have, but we have to assume that he did. Um, I mean, and he's on loan until January, so it's, I guess it's one of those low risk signings where if, if he is able to get back to fitness, he'll be a big plus. If not, you know, we've got plenty of centre midfielders, so he should be fine. Um, so, yeah, I mean, it, it may be four points from three games, but the optimism surrounding the club at the moment, I mean, if if I could do our 1 24s again, I would have Oxford nowhere near the 17th that we, that we predicted. I'd definitely be looking at at least a top half finish now. Um, because the squad looks good, the performances on the pitch have been very good as, as well um, everyone enjoyed beating Peterborough twice in four days 1-0 with Cameron Brannigan scoring both goals so yeah, I mean it's exciting with, with Blackpool I think all their fans and and, and the staff all know this was their poorest performance of the season so far but they still managed to get the three points and, uh, and yeah, a couple of Blackpool fans tweeted me after the game saying I'd be surprised if we face many better teams than you this season, um, so they'll be over the moon to get the three points.
0: Shout out Armand Nondouye, who is one of the standout also, League One players so far this season.
1: Well, I mean, the penalty decision was odd,
0: wasn't it? It was quite clumsy from Dicky, but yeah, it was yeah. a bit odd. It was, yeah. It, yeah. He also looks so slow. I'm I a bit worried know. about how slow some of your centre-backs are on the turn, but hopefully <laughs> hopefully they don't get turned too often. No, Nondouye looks as, as sort of sharp as I've ever seen him, and, and he's the type of player that because of his natural size and physique and pace... Uh, If he has any sort of um, goal scorer's instinct that he has added to his game in terms of finishing, in terms of penalty box movement, then he's just going to be an absolute handful at this level. He's going to be the sort of Tom Eaves, I think, of this season if he can continue in that vein. Very, very positive for Blackpool um, to be on nine points at this early stage of the season. Coventry have started well as well this season. Two wins from their two Games at St Andrews I was going to say home games but they're not really are they uh, and they haven't conceded yet in any of their league games so that back five I suppose with Morosi, who they signed from Doncaster in goal McFadgin, who they signed from Burton and Rose who came down from Scotland who our friends at Pure Fitba described as Liam Lindsay-esque he's already showing himself to, to be a really impressive defender but the wingbacks or the fullbacks I should say Mason and, and Darbo Fancati Darbo's a former Chelsea youngster as well he's done a few loans but now he's at Coventry permanently uh, and they have been really impressive both in keeping the opposition out but also those fullbacks crucial in building attacks for them uh, on the flip side Bristol Rovers haven't scored yet in their three games mm. and when we previewed this season we sort of we were blinded a little by Johnson Clark Harris's form in the second half of last season and caveated it all with what if he doesn't score loads, yeah, and I think we're kind of seeing that there's not that much to them, to be
1: honest. No, and a rookie manager as well, which doesn't help someone who's never had to get a team out of a bit of a rut before. So um, apart from when he took over,
0: well, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, <laughs> of course.
1: But more in terms of just turning the fortunes around of you know his own team. So yeah. um, going to be tricky for them uh, to to bounce back, I guess. I mean, these runs of, of of non-scoring don't last too long, so I'm sure that they they will. Register fairly, fairly soon, but um, but they do look pretty one-dimensional in attack. Good news for Coventry was the goal of Castanier. Uh, it was it was a brilliant team move. Um, I want to know who he ran to in the in the dugout. Uh, he went straight for someone, had a big hug, and given he's only been there for. You're nodding.
0: No, I, no I'm I'm nodding because it's very nice. Oh, I thought I you just, were going to tell me who I, it was. I just love
1: hugs. Yeah.
0: No, I was going to say the the exciting thing. Uh, for anyone who's interested in this, these sorts of slightly random things that happen every now and again in football, is that Castanier is from Curaçao. Uh, he's another Curaçaoan player in the EFL. And it's been a crazy year or two for Curaçaoans in the EFL because I can't think of any um, from the early days of covering these leagues. But now it, 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 they're everywhere. You've got Zeus de la Paz and Gervaro Nepomachino, uh, who play at Oldham you've got of course Leandro Bakuna uh, who's played for various teams but currently with Cardiff Juninho who had that stinker on Friday night for Huddersfield is a brother of his but he plays for the Holland youth team so he doesn't count um, but Castanier for Coventry Cuco Martina last season at Stoke uh, it's just been a great few years for Curaçao in football they, they did really well in the Gold Cup this summer they got through to the knockout stages after beating Honduras and drawing with Jamaica before losing narrowly to, to the USA. So Castanier is part of a new wave of, of Curacao footballers who are really putting that country on the map. And you left out Gino Van Kessel? I did leave out Gino Van Kessel. Unbelievable. I mean, he's the
1: only Curacao player to have scored a better debut goal. So <laughs>
0: Fair point. He wasn't your favourite <laughs> player, though, was he? No. Um, let's shout out Rotherham. They've won two away wins out of two having won one in 23 games last season. So, you know, they spoke about it on the Quest Highlights show, but it's worth, you know, I think at times we were almost too nice to Rotherham last season because we just really wanted them to do well. But it's amazing how that drop from the Championship has seemingly not affected them at all. And they've gone from that really long ball team that, did about as well as they could have done in the mm. championship to being back to pretty free free flowing nice 4-3-3 style and winning games again in league 1
1: yeah they look good um i think they were i think burton were fairly unlucky not to get a point um from this one i thought they had some decent chances and looked very good again <laughs> and the most nailed <coughs> on penalty yeah exactly i mean it, it seems to be a bit of a theme of Burton's start to the season um maybe another team like like oxford who are putting in performances better than the maybe results show uh, but fantastic for Rotherham um, looking, I mean, I just think Paul Warner is a is a is a good tactician at this yeah. level. I mean, I, uh, it's tricky to ever see them kicking on again when they if they if and when they go up, but they seem to be consistently very good at League One level, and uh, and this season looks no different.
0: Yeah, in terms of new names to discuss, Ben Wiles in midfield, who's come through the youth system. There, he looks very tidy uh, and sort of filling the Will Volks void to some extent, but also Matthew Sunday who's playing right back for them and is notable for his early season performances getting up and down that right hand side um, they are much more mobile and attacking down the right than they are uh, down the left but on a is an interesting case he's American he's got one cap for America although he's very young still early 20s and he was in America he was about to go to Duke University <laughs> So clearly a smart bloke. He was going to go on a football scholarship, but you still have to be very clever to go there. Uh, and then Manchester United came calling. So he went to United instead. He's done a couple of years there playing solidly for their their reserve teams. And then Rotherham picked him up on a free this summer, and he looks like a fantastic player every inch the modern fullback and um, someone that we're going to be talking about quite a lot this season. I watched Doncaster Fleetwood on Saturday, um, not live, on a stream. And uh, all legal, it's as part of my job on the Quest Highlights show, of course. Uh, and I've no idea how Fleetwood lost this 3-2, to be honest. Uh, it was uh, They were dominant, uh, certainly in the first half an hour. Doncaster came back into it. Uh, the most notable thing, I suppose, was James Coppinger, who is just the gold standard, isn't he, in terms of EFL professionals scoring for the 15th consecutive season. Uh, and the fact that he is twice as old as the chap who scored their first goal. Um, John who's on loan from Wolves the other thing to note is that Herbie Kane was at this game now Kane still at Liverpool didn't go on loan to a championship club which certainly surprised us uh, but still could go on loan to a league one or league two team unlikely to be league two uh, and of course abroad so remains to be seen but the fact he was at Doncaster on the weekend instead of uh, at at Liverpool's game just in the stands I think that uh, that'll be encouraging and exciting for, for Donny fans but they really did nick this one against Fleetwood who played pretty well um, uh, who else to, to mention before we move on to League 2 Wickham have had a good start to the season uh, George 3-2 winners against MK Dons and it was Onya Dinmer and Wheeler scoring the two players who it seemed clear had really given them a, a bit of something that they didn't have previously.
1: Yeah, I'm sure Paul Tisdale didn't really like seeing Wheeler popping up in the 90th minute and scoring the winner. But uh, massive, massive result for Wickham. Huge start to the season for them as well. Um, I think if you told any Wickham fan, they'd be on seven points after three games, they'd have been over the moon. Um, you know, the eight games last season. Nearly a quarter there. of the way to safety, basically, already after three games. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as you say, just having those two players in who are going to be hard for any team to defend against two quality quality wide players um, is so important Um, looked like quite a decent atmosphere as ever at Adams Park as well from the highlights Uh, and I actually texted my mate who's a Wickham
0: fan and I said it's very rare that you see limbs as they say Mm. in in home ends like it's quite rare the only two that really spring to mind in League One a Bristol Rovers who do that very well at that at that one end. Uh, and Wickham to be fair yeah. on the weekend. I, I noted that as yeah. well. It's it's impressive. That's normally normally just an away end thing that. Yeah. So fair play to the Wickham good fans. Limbs. Clearly very enthused by what they're seeing. And Limber. you can you can understand why. Onya Dinmer, man of the match. Um i I I just think Onya Dinmer playing for Wickham and playing well is just such a good reflection on Gareth Ainsworth and his management and his uh, just his whole running of that team. We know that through him, they've they've cultivated a good relationship with QPR, which has been very productive for them, very valuable for them at times. Uh, Onya Dinmer is slightly different, but came on loan twice from Millwall, where he always threatened to break through. He was always highly thought of, but never quite producing on the pitch. And both times he came on loan to Wickham, played really, really well. So Millwall said, okay, we want him back. Maybe he's ready for our team. And, and for whatever reason, decided that he wasn't. Uh, and I think it sp- speaks volumes that he wanted to go back and join Ainsworth at Wickham, uh, not to put the club down, but I'm sure he would have had offers potentially with, with higher wages. Um, but this is a place where he's found his home and a manager that he knows can get the best out of him. So really positive stuff for, for Wickham. Uh, elsewhere in, in league 1 Tranmere generally winning 5-0 would would merit a long discussion um, but beating Bolton at 5-0 in in the current state of Bolton with the takeover still not complete still with a lot of young players playing although one or two senior players were back in the team um, those those young players having to play 3 games in a week i mean Phil Parkinson was basically questioning whether that was okay on a, on a welfare uh, from a welfare standpoint which i, I kind of sympathise with and either way, it was very easy for Tranmere. So we'll, we'll wait for tougher games, I think, before judging them, um, especially having lost their first well, two. It's quite
1: handy for the likes of Morgan Ferrier to be able to get their season off to a bit of a flyer yeah. um, after a tricky start by playing a, a team of kids, isn't it? So. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Uh, there's no Berry match to talk about and things are more precarious than they've ever been. At Berry have until the end of this week, essentially, uh, when they have an expulsion order from the EFL. <laughs> they have to prove that either the current owner can maintain the club uh, through the season which looks very unlikely from from the evidence that we've all seen and heard essentially at this stage uh, but also the other option is of course to, to find new owners that can both help get the club on an even uh, keel financially and take them forward throughout the season so they can start fulfilling their fixtures um, I, I can't really I can't really be very positive about this because it's getting to the point where it feels like it, nothing will happen now we hope that, it, that, that that's not the case. We hope that in the last few days something will will start to happen. But it's been frustrating to follow but also horrendous, of course, for for Bury fans and something that a lot of other fans have taken note of, which is a good thing, something that we need to you know keep talking about uh, so that we can make sure that this sort of thing doesn't happen again. Uh, and one more positive note from League One is that Accrington's goal in their one-all draw against Wimbledon I think you'll like this, George. Yeah. Uh, it was scored by Colby Bishop mm-hmm. and it was assisted by Courtney Baker-Richardson. And both of those players have previously played and scored a lot of goals for Lemington, who are in the National League North. Now, uh, Accrington signed ba- uh, sorry, Bishop from Lemington this summer. Baker-Richardson scored, played so well for Lemington a few years back that he got a... Moved to Swansea, who at the time were in the Premier League, and he's now at Accrington on loan. So up the Leamington, basically. Really doing good things for Accrington. Right, League 2. Let's group a couple of games together. Uh, Bradford 3, Oldham 0, Carlisle 0, Mansfield 2. Comfortable wins for these early season favourites and goals from their big-name strikers. So for Mansfield, that's Danny Rose and Nicky Maynard. For Bradford, that's James Vaughan and Clayton Donaldson. And my question to you, George, as a pre-season Plymouth fancier, probably pretty happy with what you've seen so far, is how concerned would you be that their striker options are Dom
1: Telford, Ryan Taylor, Byron Moore, compared to
0: some of their competitors?
1: I think Taylor is, as any Plymouth fan will tell you, he's not someone who's ever going to be particularly prolific. But his ability to bring other players into play. I mean, I think the idea of, of Danny Meyer having Taylor to play off, for example, is very important and very exciting because his ability with his back to goal is very strong. So I think you'd probably see this Plymouth team will have um, the goal spread out the team a bit more with wide players coming to the fore there. No doubt that in terms of pure goal scorers, um, the options that Bradford and and now Swindon with Owen Doyle and also Mansfield have is is stronger. Um, But it's not as easy as just having goal scorers on the the team. You've got to have a functional way of playing that's going to bring them into it. And you look at Rose and, and Maynard's goals from the weekend and they weren't necessarily the kind of goals you'd expect those two players to be to be getting in effect. I mean, both fairly long-range strikes, especially Maynard's. We saw Maynard normally, uh, his goals for Bury last season were fairly scrappy kind of six-yard box poaching finishes um, and we're yet to really see him do that so far for Mansfield. Um, but, you know, overdue three points for both teams. Um, I don't think Mansfield are going to have much trouble scoring goals this season by the looks of things. Just uh, like last season, there were fairly created chances at will um, and, As we said on the betting show, I think Oldham's trip to Bradford came at a very, very handy time for Gary Bowyer because uh, they hadn't got the points they necessarily deserve so far this season. But Oldham looked to be one of the weaker teams in the league and they uh, made them pay.
0: They certainly did. Uh, Real concern, I think it's fair to say, for Oldham at this early stage of the season. um, Plymouth lost 1-0 to Newport this weekend and it's the first time they've conceded this season. So their defence looking very, very strong regardless of what I might think about their striker options compared to their rivals. Uh, 27% possession Newport had, uh, and the great thing about that is you don't need possession. It's what you do with possession that matters. More shots than Plymouth, more shots on target, more shots from inside of the box, uh, better XG racked up. It was all good for Newport, and they are just such a, a great example of how you can... Do things differently, how you can win games differently, how you can play football in a different way uh, and maintain effective, even as the the game has evolved so much in in the last few decades. Um, The goal almost inevitably didn't come direct from a set piece, but from the second phase, um, Hawkins is one of the centre backs they signed this summer who is very, very tall and he, like all their other defenders, seems to have a real knack of getting on the end of crosses and heading it in. So a very good start for Newport, who are right up there and um, and, and pleasingly so. It looks like they're they're going to be very similar to what we expected. George, we talked about Jan Siwert leaving Huddersfield at the top of the show. What about Sol Campbell? He has left Macclesfield. They said it was very mutual and very amicable it certainly wouldn't have been a sacking would it because no. did a fantastic job there how did you react to that I mean what do you think first of all for Seoul going forward what are your thoughts well the
1: first thing I did was take Maxfield out my bet slip for the weekend which was quite annoying Um <laughs> but uh, it's it's surprising timing because the issues that that Maxfield have off field have been fairly obvious to everyone for a few months now so Presumably, Sol Campbell was, was aware was aware as well. So, why, you know, a couple of weeks into the season, unless there's another job that's come up, which it doesn't look like there is, um, it does seem a bit strange. Uh, it's a massive blow for Macclesfield, of course. Um, what Sol Campbell has done in the eight or nine months that he's been at the club, I think, has taken everyone by surprise. Uh, he took over a club that were dead and buried and were going out of the Football League again, kept them up and has started the season like a train. Mm. Uh, and even. A couple of days after he leaves, they go to Northampton and win 2-1 with a with a very, very late goal. So, Where do you expect to see him next? L- league uh, One? Championship? I, I, I would probably say League One. I think, ridiculously, given the job he's done, I still think that there will be a lot of people reluctant to, t- to, to take him on. Um, I don't think, you know, as a general point, I think it's more to do with his character rather than anything more sinister. Um, but, and maybe leaving... Macca's after two weeks of the the season even if it is amicable might not particularly help that either because I think with, with people like Sol Campbell I mean you think about normal league one league two managers the core reason for them needing to be in a job is basically going to be financial security like all the rest of us you know they need to be in work in order to pay their bills for their family and give everyone whereas for Sol Campbell that basically isn't really the case he's his uh, interests within football will lie in the fact that he wants to prove himself as a good manager because he knows a lot about the game and because he wants to work work in it i guess so the way that he's left the club at the moment probably doesn't if i was a, a an owner um looking to employ a manager that would probably concern me a little bit in terms of just sheer commitment but at the same time the issues at the club themselves mean it's a surprise i guess that he even stayed past the back end of last mm. season uh I would probably say League One, unless there's a a, a Championship um, chairman who's willing to take a take a punt on him. Um, but in terms of foot, pure footballing achievements, I mean, is there is there anyone who's done better in the EFL since since he took over? Probably not. So in that respect, he should get a, <laughs> he should definitely get another chance quite soon.
0: Yeah, big call. It was Danny Whitaker who took interim charge on the weekend. Uh, he knows the club better than anyone. He was the one who took over before Sol arrived as interim manager and actually picked up some really good results after a terrible run uh, and sort of turned things around. So he's got an excellent record and I do wonder whether due to the the situation, the timing, I suppose, and the fact that they are um, so early on in the season looking for a new manager, why that whether that might very much work in his favour, especially if they keep getting results like they did on the weekend where they beat Northampton 2-1. Uh, obviously, everyone who's seen the highlights will know that Northampton's Andy Williams had pretty much the miss of the season uh, rivaled with Joe Allen of Stoke Uh, but Macclesfield scored two good goals Uh, Theo Archibald who we mentioned last week got a goal and an assist both of which showing uh, technique and vision and execution that looks much better than the level so really positive signs already for Archibald at at, at Macclesfield Uh, and they have seven points from three games so it's a fantastic start to the season you mentioned that Wickham might be with seven points, almost you know 25% of the way to to safety. Well, especially with only two relegation spots in League Two, Macclesfield have made a, a pretty good dent uh, with everyone expecting them to go down pre-season. So really impressive stuff. Uh, Forest Green and Crew both got very narrow one-nil wins. Forest Green uh, have been have had a strange start to the season, a positive start, They're picking up points, um, but all of their games really cagey. They're sort of nicking wins at this stage. Uh, Crew beat Grimsby, a game in which Grimsby absolutely dominated the, the, the XG. Um, but Crew came away with the win. The highlight of that was Perry and G, mm. whose name is spelt mm. N and then G. Uh, he was fantastic, as always, uh, one of the best right backs at the level. But we were told by our friend Matt Vale that someone in the Walsall End shouted, piss off back to the periodic table which I thought was pretty niche chemistry-related banter, the likes of which you don't see that often in, uh, in the stands. Apologies
1: for the foul language there as well for anyone who's uh, of, what, of sensitive hearing. <laughs> ha- anyone who's hard
0: of hearing, no.
1: Um, yeah,
0: apologies for that. I mean, I might as well double down on it because another funny story from the weekend was Richie Wellens being asked if he enjoyed uh, Swindon's goal and he said, I didn't see it because I went for a piss. Uh, so, uh, again, apologies. And Thomas Frank as well. And Thomas Frank said the S word yeah. in his... Unbelievable. In his interview, which I'm I'm not going to say. That really woke me up. But... For the bleep. Yeah, yeah, good bleeping on Quest. Um, yeah, again, apologies if you don't like those words. I, I would say that I am just quoting. So, not my words, the words of Richie Wellens and unnamed Walsall fan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and just to finish, George, an impressive result in league two was cambridge beating colchester 2-1 yes one nil down at half time this is a cambridge team that hadn't scored yet so that was five halves of football without a goal they'd scored 12 in their previous 19 league games then bang 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 Mm. 2-1 win uh i don't want to take away from it but i would suggest this doesn't reflect that well on colchester
1: no it, it doesn't um especially when you read the quotes of Colin Caldwood after the game about the first half performance where he couldn't have been more brutal, really. Uh, I, I mean, we talk about, with the Sunderland-Pompey game, talk about halves and moments in, in seasons that can really turn things around. I mean, Colin Caldwood, if they lose this game 1-0, as it was at time, he's in serious trouble. Uh, yeah, a bit of momentum, a, a couple of goals to turn it around and things look a little bit rosier. So, yeah. uh, again, very hard to, to kind of understand what the expectations are for Cambridge this season but uh, but for Colchester United fans who certainly were hopeful of going one better and at least getting a playoff place this season it hasn't been a very good start who'd have thought it a penny for the
0: thoughts of Giovanni Brown who who left Cambridge for Colchester in the summer and uh, well I was going to say sat and watched but he was very much on the pitch watching his former team beat his current team uh, in, uh, in that turnaround win a, a good weekend in the EFL we enjoyed it um, but George uh, we're we're going to enjoy this week probably even more. It's our first set of midweek fixtures, and previously on this podcast we've we've never really done a podcast on midweek fixtures, and we're still not going to do that. But we're getting much more involved this year. Can you tell the listeners a little bit about our very exciting week to come?
1: Yeah, we're we're going to uh, we're doing an EFL midweeker. Um, it's like a road trip It is a road trip It's it, That's exactly what it is um, <laughs> We are going to Oxford tomorrow uh, We're going up to to Initially to Manchester On Wednesday night Where I um, Am delighted To have been asked To to go on 5 Live For the evening Talking about the Championship fi- championship fixtures As The goals as they go in I guess um, So listen out for that Whilst Addy will be making his way To Deepdale for For the Preston game We'll be driving back as well. We're going to be playing a bit of golf. So if that's your your kind of thing that you like to to keep up to date with, um, you can follow us on Instagram as well because we'll surely be showing you some of our rubbish shots uh, out on the course. Yeah,
0: so we'll be tweeting our way through it as always. But generally this week is going to be quite Instagram heavy for us. So if you fancy following us uh, from London to Oxford via uh, a golf course in Oxfordshire and then up to Manchester via a golf course in Derbyshire... And then back again on Thursday. Then follow us on Instagram at ntt20pod. At we're going to be trying out uh, a sort of, uh, yeah, like I guess that's called vlogging, isn't it? New so media. there you go. New media. That's what we're all about. Always have been and always with me. Look, guys, thank you very much for listening. We'll be back with a betting show later on in the week which we will look forward to and hope that you do too. And in the meantime, tweet us at ntt20pod and follow us on Instagram, also at ntt20pod.